sup kids i'm back and as you've probably noticed i haven't released much this past month even though i promised a series on the ukraine conflict i can explain you see in january i applied for an essay competition hosted by the american foreign service association dealing with this prompt <clears throat> the current multipolar era possesses challenges for u.s foreign policy but also provides new opportunities for partnership across world powers including emerging great powers like china and russia to build peace in conflict affected countries Describe a current situation where American diplomats and peace builders are working with other world powers as well as local and or regional actors in a conflict-affected country to champion democracy, promote human rights, and or resolve violent conflict. A successful essay will lay out, in no more than 1,250 words, the strategies and tactics U.S. Foreign Service officers and American peace builders are employing to build successful partnerships with other world and regional powers, and with local actors, in the chosen current situation. This essay will also describe specific ways that these partnerships are helping to promote stability and build peace. So from Jan to mid-Feb, I was searching for this so-called situation, and even made this country viability chart that, looking back on, had some pretty funny stuff. Examples? American logic. ISIS is anti-democratic and outside of Iraq and Syria, Libya is the largest stronghold for them. Plus, OIO! Car has always been a crazy place to live. Not enough democracy or human rights. American logic. Ah, terrorism! Oh no, Russia. Yeah, there was also a line where I stated the Ukraine crisis was too overused and I shouldn't pick it. Oops, my bad. So yeah, for one and a half months, I was spending more than an hour every day researching different world crises, crises? and eventually narrowed it down to post-Civil War reconciliation in South Sudan and the Tigray War in Ethiopia with South Sudan being the snag too stagnant and the U.S. not really working with major allies, and Ethiopia, well, let's just say it leapt into a pool of kerosene and lit itself on fire. Metaphorically. Though it could turn physically. So yeah, for a while, I was stuck until the Ukraine crisis turned into a full-on invasion. But unfortunately, initially I was unable to do much of anything save for quickly check news headlines because I had to study for the March SAT. So it wasn't until March 12th I was able to write. By this point, I felt like I was rushed as I only had 22 days to complete and turn in this essay. Needless to say, my essay wasn't that great and didn't cover as much of the prompt as I hoped it would. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't something that would wow a judge. Heck, even my mom, who helped with the grammar check, called it metacore. True story, by the way. So, yeah. I know that the odds are against me. I've read the essays of past winners, and... It's kind of sad since I spent more than an hour a day working on this essay, 
excluding the amount of time reading articles. So as not wanting it to go to waste, I've decided to immortalize it forever on my platform. Hooray! Title, Holding Russia Accountable, How the U.S. and Allies Are Supporting Ukrainian Freedom and Democracy. The 2014 Crimean Referendum and Donbass War was the first time the U.S., EU, and several other Western allies hammered out Russian sanctions, crippling the Russian economy and forcing Russia into negotiating the 2015 Minsk II Accord. Although that agreement failed to reduce tensions, it showed the world that only intervention from exterior actors could ever hope to pacify the Ukrainian crisis. Citation. Yeah, I... Okay, from now on I'm going to just ignore those. Anyways, on February 24th, 2022, days after recognizing Donetsk, and Luhansk as independent people's republics, Russia invaded Ukraine, threatening to end the post-Cold War European stability. The U.S. and its allies are supporting Ukrainian freedom and democracy through coordinating sanctions, multilateral agreements, and relief aid. Sanctions In a move similar to what followed the Crimean referendum, the U.S. and its allies are responding to the invasion of Ukraine by imposing and enforcing sanctions against Russia. In coordination with the EU, UK, and Canada, the U.S. removed several major Russian banks from SWIFT, a messaging system that handles financial transactions from over 11,000 banks in over 200 countries. This would prevent it, Russia, selling its foreign assets for a local currency to prop up Russian banks and firms but hit by sanctions, which are critical for Russia's efforts to halt the ruble's deprecation and slow inflation from the currency's weakness. President Biden, along with leaders from the G7 and EU, also announced their intent to prevent Russia from benefiting from the World Trade Organization and receiving financing from the lead multilateral financial institutions such as the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. Parts of these agreements have come into fruition, as exemplified by the halt of all World Bank programs in Russia and Belarus, a Russian ally helping facilitate the invasion. The U.S. partnered with the G7 nations, Australia, and the European Commission, formed the Russian elites, proxies, and oligarchs, REPO, multilateral task force. This joint effort has contributed to the restraint of multiple vessels controlled by sanctioned individuals and entities, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Kleptocapture, an interagency task force designed to enforce these sanctions, will aid REPO. In addition, the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, made a joint statement with the Financial Intelligence Units, FIUs, of the aforementioned nations and New Zealand to expedite and increase sharing of financial intelligence in sanction-related matters identify opportunities for actions and partnerships to combat the threat caused by Russia's unprovoked invasion into Ukraine, and strengthen and facilitate working relationships between FIUs and competent public authorities and the private sector addressing that threat, including by engaging with the Repo Task Force. By pressuring Russian President Putin's oligarchs, Not only would it be difficult for Russia to fund the war effort, but it would also create discontent within the Kremlin.
Multilateral Forums While there has been little headway in multilateral or bilateral negotiations, there has been some success in international forums. During the February 25th UN Security Council session, the U.S. and Albania led a resolution co-sponsored by 80 other nations demanding an end to Russian aggression and holding Russia accountable. Although Russia vetoed this resolution, it led to a resolution being passed in the UN Human Rights Council creating a commission of inquiry to credibly document Russian abuses in Ukraine. On the one-month anniversary of the invasion, Biden visited Europe, attending a NATO emergency meeting resulting in a statement on increasing troops on the eastern flank, establishing four multinational battle groups in Hungary, Bulgaria, Slovakia, and Romania, and improving cybersecurity capabilities to prevent the conflict from spreading to the rest of Europe. Biden also participated in a G7 and EU conference announcing sanctions on over 400 Russian individuals and entities and preventing the sale of Russian gold reserves, which could be used to slow the ruble's decline. Biden believes sustained international pressure on the Russian economy will eventually cause Putin to withdraw. Similar to how the fall of the ruble and oil prices caused Russia to negotiate the Minsk II Accords. Near the end of his trip, Biden visited Poland, the center of the refugee crisis and entry point for Ukrainian aid, pledging an additional $1 billion in global aid and to defend Poland militarily. These actions demonstrate the U.S.'s reliability and dedication to unity, strengthening ties to allies, which in turn strengthens joint actions. Aid The U.S. has aided Ukrainian defense since the annexation of Crimea, contributing over $1.5 in security aid by 2020, 90% of Ukraine's military aid, while training and conducting joint military exercises with the Ukrainian military. Throughout the crisis, Biden reiterated multiple times the U.S.'s commitment to stand with Ukraine through calls to Ukrainian President Zelensky, press releases, and speeches. The U.S. has increased the stream of defense aid. Aid. The U.S. has aided Ukrainian defense since the annexation of Crimea, contributing over $1.5 billion in security aid by 2020, 90% of Ukraine's military aid, while training and conducting joint military exercises with the Ukrainian military. Throughout the crisis, Biden reiterated multiple times the U.S. commitment to stand with Ukraine through calls to Ukrainian President Zelensky, press releases, and speeches. The U.S. has increased the stream of defense aid, immediately pledging $800 million in weapons after Zelensky's riveting speech to Congress, a day after Biden signed a bill promising $13.6 billion in emergency aid to Ukraine. The U.S. has also set up cyber mission teams in Eastern European bases to counter Russian cyber attacks and communications. Along with that, U.S. and German intelligence officials have provided Ukraine with encrypted satellite images of Russian military movement. With, while these actions may seem counterintuitive to peacebuilding and de-escalation, they are essential to protecting Ukraine's independence and democracy. In fact, the U.S. rejected transporting MiG-29 jets to Ukraine, 
sending NATO troops, as well as establishing a no-fly zone, as Putin would view them as an act of war, thus intensifying the conflict. As for humanitarian aid, the U.S. Agency for International Development, you said, deployed the Disaster Assistance Response Team, DART, which will identify critical needs, conduct humanitarian assessments, and work with partners to scale up humanitarian aid to communities affected by the conflict. USAID has provided nearly $54 million in humanitarian assistance, including critical relief supplies. Most of all, USAID is working with European partners, the UN, and NGOs to coordinate among various responders, identify additional needs, and tailor the response to the situation on the ground. To alleviate pressure from Ukraine's neighbors, the U.S. will provide $123 million in refugee assistance and welcome 100,000 refugees through programs including the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program, while expanding and developing new programs in coordination with the EU. The U.S. will provide an additional $320 million to create the European Democratic Resilience Initiative, EDRI, to support societal resilience and defend human rights in Ukraine and neighboring countries. Specifically, the EDRI will support efforts to document and preserve evidence of potential war crimes to be shared internationally to hold Russia accountable, paving the way for future reconciliation. Conclusion Partly due to divisions between the objectives of major NATO powers before the onset of the invasion, U.S. intelligence predicted that Russia would take Ukraine in days. Instead, Ukraine has resisted for over a month due to the resilience of its people and supplies from the U.S. and allies. Multilateral sanctions have caused the ruble to plummet over 30%, less than a penny, and the stock market to fall 40% when addressed in Biden's State of the Union, and have dropped further since. NATO has also confronted Russia with quick, unified, and clear consequences, emerging as the leading element in European security after having been in decline for years. Although the future of this crisis is unclear, the U.S. and its allies will remain committed to defending Ukrainian freedom and democracy. So yeah, that's my essay. There are things that I wish I added, but didn't have enough time or space to add them, as this essay, it has a word limit, and these included the um, negotiations going down between um, Russian and Ukrainian diplomats in Turkey, which is a NATO member state as like conflicted as it is about this membership and the fact that um there are no US foreign service officers in Ukraine which is a big plot hole in my essay as um the um embassy in Kiev before the onset of the war it was they the people they were moved to Lviv and eventually afterwards to Poland and some of the guys like the um officers are actually aiding in the refugee crisis in Poland which I could have added but didn't really do it but 
Yeah. Hey, at least I shot my shot. Yeah, in all honesty, I'd give my essay a 6 out of 10. Like, if you go read the judging section, like, of the application, it says submissions will be judged on the quality of analysis, quality of research, form, style, and mechanics. Successful entries will answer all aspects of the prompt and demonstrate an understanding of the foreign service. All qualifying essays will be judged blind through several rounds of judging. Da 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 da. Yeah. I feel like my essay it meant it matched it like met the quality of research, but it didn't really do really well on analysis and truth and. The form style and mechanics, they were good, but at times there were parts of my essays that were a bit choppy and didn't flow very well. And yeah, as for the foreign service aspect, that was kind of explained in the part about the embassy. And I don't really think my essay answered all aspects of the prompt. So while the judges haven't finished doing their stuff, I'm just going to be out here hoping. And honestly, I feel like it doesn't matter whether I win this or lose it because I feel like it was a interesting experience overall and I was able to share it with you guys. So yeah, have a lovely rest of your days or nights as Right now, it's currently almost midnight. And, yeah. See you all soon, and bye!